dismiss our children uh, to uh, their class. We appreciate our teachers and uh, each one of our students. Shall we pray? Father, thank you so much for this day, and uh, thank you so much for it's absolutely beautiful, this point of your globe to, to see the flowering bushes and the greening of the grass and the warm breezes of summer that we anticipate, the beautiful skies at night. And, and Lord, we're just so grateful and so thankful that, that you're our God and we are not. You are great and awesome, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the triunity of Godhead shrouded with incredible mystery, wonder, and awe. And yet we bow before you. Jesus, you taught us to pray our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses, even as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, namely the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever and ever. Amen and amen. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we're a needy people, and uh, we're just so thankful that, that you are ours and we belong to you. And we're thankful for your calling and election, your keeping. Thank you for each one that's here, each precious soul, by your divine direction. Thank you for raising up this community of faith not too many years ago. And for leading us, Lord, uh, last year and, and acquiring that beautiful piece of property. And we just pray as a church that you would show yourself strong and lead us in the development and place of worship and training. And infinitely more important than stuff and buildings and land is the building of men and women for Christ, the work of discipleship. And so we pray that we'll always keep our focus on making disciples, to being a blessing and the love of God in our community and then around the world, and that will help strengthen the saints uh, for the work of the ministry, that when they leave this place, they'll be more determined to live for you and love you and serve you and resist the sin that is ever-present within and without, and that it'll be a place that heralds the gospel of Jesus Christ through the power of the Spirit of God. Oh, we pray. We ask that you'd bless this morning. We come with a multitude of needs, some of them physical, some of them social, some of them family, some involve our work and our employment. And Father, we just lay them at your feet and know that you do all things well. We pray that you would be glorified, that we would keep our eyes fixed upon you through it all. And we'll give you the thanks for it. Accomplish your purpose in our heart and life this morning. Change all of us, Lord, as a result of being here, big ways and small, that we might be pleasing in your sight. Thank you so much. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, take your Bible and uh, look at uh, the doctor's gospel, uh, Luke chapter 14. I've entitled the message, The Dinner Party Guest. Uh, Luke's Gospel, chapter 14, we're going to look at verses 1 to 11 this morning, and I'll ask the question to get us started, who's the most famous person that you ever shared a meal with? Uh, I wonder who that would be when you think about it. 
Who would that be? The most famous person in your estimation. Maybe the world's, but in your estimation. Perhaps it was a teacher. A teacher has a very special place. Those of you that teach and do that vocationally, Jason, we're praying for you, and, and David, you're, you're teaching, and some of the others that have taught. Who, what other teachers do we have that formally educated and trained licensed teachers? Anyone else? Miss Susan. And, and years of English, I bet, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, a teacher is a very special thing. I, uh, it's a sacred thing, really, to have the privilege to impart and to teach and to make an impact and form that and to have them over for dinner. I can remember eating with some of my teachers in days gone by and, and uh, what, a, what, a, what an esteem there is uh, in that and what a blessed thing. Maybe it's a business leader. We talk about uh, Charlie Tremendous Jones and, and there were a couple occasions that we in a larger setting had, uh, had a meal with Charlie and, uh, and now as the, the calendars turned, and God allows us to now sit in his house and teach Bible studies and have prayer meetings. And look at, I go like, wow. And this Charlie was uh, internationally known in his business. I don't know if you knew that. I was in business. We were, Faith and I were just married and, and doing business school at night in Buffalo, that great football city north of us. And, uh, and uh, we were at a, uh, there was a big uh, seminar at, I think it was the Hilton, and, the, and they had multiple things going on like business people do. And there were like three or four, five hundred business folks there. And I was in the crowd. And, and, uh, and I, I'll never forget, one of the segment hours was this guy from Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. This is a long time ago. This is 19, 1977, maybe. How about that? And he's up there talking about, he's, I found, he sold life insurance, but he said, nah, I really don't sell life. I sell love. He started yelling, love, L-U-V. Didn't even spell it right. L-U-V, love. What is life? Love, I love. And, you know, Charlie, any of you knew him, he was always hugging and holding, and he'd be up here, and he wouldn't let go. Not one of these quick hugs. I mean, men hugging men, you know, and holding on until, like, all right, Charlie, let go. <laughs> I, well, he's, a, he's an outstanding businessman, and now in glory, and uh, you know, the way God weaves all that, and we had that, maybe it's a professional athlete. I was thinking back, I had the advantage of writing this because I could think ahead here a little bit, but I, <laughs> but I, I do remember having, uh, uh, in a lar little larger setting, Jack Kemp. You know, he was a, became a politician, but he was at a men's prayer breakfast there in Buffalo at the... Uh, at one of the Presbyterian churches, and I got to know him and see him and enjoyed that, remember that. And, uh, and then some more recently, you know, and some of you know Kyle, and uh, some of you are into the golf world. I know Larry would say, you know, Zach and Jonathan Bird and, and uh, Kuchar and, and uh, uh, these guys, you know, they stand out. Now think of how many meals you have. I mean, we eat how many meals, right? Some eat more than others, but we eat a lot of meals, Right? Thousands of them. If you live a full life, I saw somewhere, what was that? You have 75, how many days would that be? Not 1,000 days, is it? Yeah. If you live a full life, what, no, 25,000. 25,000. Do the math quick. Help me out. Yeah, Susie, help me here. Susie was top of her class. No, you didn't say that, Janet. She was top of her class. Yeah. Uh, that didn't help me at this minute, though, Susie. How many? Is it? <laughs> it's a, you know, so uh, what in the world am I thinking? Then think of all those. Yes, Jim. 
That's it. Yeah, okay. Because Wendell's funeral, Faith and I saw Wendell. We had, uh, we didn't see Wendell this week. <laughs> He's in heaven. We were with his widow, Ruthie, better get that right, for a lunch. And he had that same, similar thing at the, uh, his funeral. And it was 20 some thousand, 27 at Jay's. Yeah, that's like all the meals you have in that. And then most of them press between the pages of our minds. Somebody sang that once, right? Kind of squeak out. But if you stand out, and, uh, and may, maybe a politician, you know, you ate, ate lunch with a politician. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Uh, maybe a pastor. I can think of some of the great men of God that I've had a chance in larger settings and small to eat with missionaries, a celebrity of sorts, right? I don't know. Maybe. It's fun to think about it, right? You, hey, remember that when we, you know, uh, that kind of thing kind of stands out, sitting around. Something about that, around the table, eating. Faith and I, back in that 70s, were invited to a little larger setting when uh, Dr. Falwell came to Niagara Falls, New York, uh, at the convention center, and we had a little anteroom up there, and he, he, we met with, uh, we, had, we had dinner with Dr. Falwell. I don't know why I remember that, but I remember that, and I always thought so much of uh, of, uh, I don't know what your opinion was, but he was a godly man with a great vision. God wonderfully, wonderfully used him. Wow. You know, he, he tempted heaven, though. When Faith and I were down at Liberty last year, we heard the story. Did you ever hear that story on that? That's tempting God. I thought, well, and, you know, what a, it's a win-win. You think about that. The board, of, the board of directors of Liberty University, and they were always building and always financially almost over the edge. Do you remember that? They're almost like, what are we going to do now? You know, we're in, in, in so <laughs> the board of directors took out a life insurance policy on Jerry Falwell. And they be, the school became the owner of it, of course. And it was multiple millions of dollars. And the idea was, when he goes to heaven, it goes to the school. And I go, like, is that tempting him? It's a win-win. You know? well, so when he died in his study that day, a couple years ago now, the, uh, there was enough money, and the school became debt-free. That's amazing. Really, I think it's still like, wow, God provides. We, I mean, some of you are thinking, that's the way we want to provide for our building there. <laughs> I know what you're thinking. You're looking at me and going like, I saw right now, was, hey, he doesn't look like he's in good shape. Maybe we can hoodwink at life insurance. <laughs> that's good for him, and it's good for Grace. <laughs> Amen. There you go. Well, I didn't think that when I wrote this, but anyway. Uh, what? How about it, though? Imagine if you had been among the privileged ones that had Jesus visit for a meal. I mean, like Jesus said to Zacchaeus, that day, hey, Zacchaeus, get down here. I'm going to your house for dinner. How about that? Wouldn't that be something? I mean, you would, you would be chattering about that forever. Hey, did I ever tell you about the time Jesus came to visit? He even asked for extra dessert. I couldn't believe it. It was just so... I mean, he was a man. He's the God-man. Sometimes we think he's sort of, you know, no. You tell everybody. Yeah, we heard that story, Faith. You told it how many times now? You know, oh, tell it again. What did he do? What did he eat? What did he say? What did, did he say grace? What did he say in, in his prayer? You know, the whole thing. Think about that. I mean, put some flesh in blood. This is really happy. Imagine that. You'd never forget it. You'd love to tell it, the day I ate with Jesus. Wow. You know, someday we're going to do that at the banquet. I can't wait for that. Wow. <laughs> Give me seconds and thirds. Won't even need Weight Watchers up there. Wouldn't that be great? I don't know how that works. 
Well, you know, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they tell of seven incidents where Jesus healed on the Sabbath day. There's seven. Now, it's not, su- not surprising that Dr. Luke, um, uh, he gives us the majority of them. He actually, with this account today, uh, he gives us four out of the seven. John tells of two, and Mark, uh, John Mark tells us of one when Jesus healed on the Sabbath day. Today we're going to look at, uh, in chronological order, the last one. Remember, he's on his way to Jerusalem to suffer and to die. I must needs go. And in, in, in Luke's Gospel 9, verse 51, becomes the pivot. Now he's on this long journey, this last journey. He's going to the, to the wonderful city of Jerusalem. He's going to offer his life as the Lamb of God. And here's our text, Luke 14. And uh, the point is there are two lessons for us as Jesus boldly engaged those. He boldly engages those who uh, were attending the Sabbath day dinner. And he is the dinner party esteemed guest, if you will. Let's, uh, let's read the uh, text in Luke. House of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and the Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. And then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. They were silent. Now he told the parable to those who were invited, invited guests, when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person. And then you will begin with, with shame to take the lowest spot. But when you are invited, go sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be, you'll be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. And here's the principle. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who is, humbles himself will be exalted. Two lessons for us as Jesus boldly engages those attending this, this dinner uh, in the midst of this important social gathering, and it was, Jesus wonderfully speaks the uh, words of life. Well, the lesson number one is it's always the right time to show mercy to those in need. It's always the right time. Uh, there's no mananas here. There's no come back tomorrow at 9, office hours. It's always the right time. And Jesus is going to address uh, this uh, to uh, the Pharisees in particular, those invited guests to this important social gathering. There's no time out, if you will, on our need to show compassion. No time out. Out. Dr. Luke gives us the setting. It's uh, verses 1 and 2. It's a, it's a dinner party. It's the Sabbath. It's after worship. They typically would meet in the morning before the heat of the day on Saturday, the Sabbath day. Uh, and they would have, right after that, a huge meal. 
Now, that uh, is similar to what uh, churches have done and Christians have done for years. They'll uh, typically meet on Sunday morning, the Resurrection Day, the Lord's Day, the spiritual Sabbath, the Sabbath that uh, elevates the resurrected Lord, the Lord of the Sabbath, and then after that, eating, eating. Now, I, I did not grow up in, a, uh, in, in really a Christian family. My mom was saved, and she took uh, uh, the kids to church. But my father hardly ever went to church, so uh, it, it was typically a sort of different work day when we got home in the afternoon. And one of the things I really enjoyed uh, was with uh, Faithy's family. And incidentally, her family is so rare, as I was telling her the other day, I don't know through the generations now, three or four, with cousins and nephews and nieces and all, of any one of them that doesn't know the Lord and profess to know him and live for him. I, I don't know another family like that. And we go back and we ascribe that to the godly prayers of a little German woman, Pop's uh, mother, who uh, spoke broken English when she came over from... Uh, the fatherland and all that, and uh, just a, a prayer warrior, a track giver-outer, and prayed and loved her kids. And she was married to a heart man. He was a plumber. He was drunk most of the time. And uh, she died around 60 years of age. He lived six months after, and God brought him to repentance and faith. And he was saved during that period of time that he was languishing without his dear wife. Uh, as Pop would often tell that story to us. It's an amazing story, it really. And one of the things I loved about Faithy's family as I began to date her was they, they would uh, make much of the Lord's Day in worship, typically Sunday school classes and that day, adults and the choir. And then, and then it was, what are we eating after? And the ladies would put on pot roast. And, and you don't hear that much almost anymore. And potatoes would be cooking in the oven. And pastor don't speak too long because the timer is set. And all these kind of things. And I go like, wow, what's that? Like I go home and have a peanut butter sandwich as a kid. And then out to the yard, I went to work. You know, that kind of a thing. And I couldn't wait. And, and I, I, I really love that emphasis and, it, and I find the pattern right here. They would worship the Lord, and they would sit down and enjoy a meal, and it wasn't a drive through thing. Why is it that we do these drive through You know, we drive through, scarf it down, and then eat it for the next three hours, right? <laughs> God, what is it, are we dumb? Can't we ever just stop and relax? They did, and they focused on that. It was typically after worship in the, in the, uh, at the synagogue. It was the big meal of the week. Well, it was common for those in that day to have a guest teacher, an itinerant rabbi, if you will, to be invited to in for a meal after worship. And, and then, of course, that's what's happening. Jesus is the itinerant rabbi. He is well-known and uh, the leader of the synagogue, a Pharisee, socially high, probably the highest status person in the whole village or town or city, it's not identified, invited Jesus to come in to enjoy this after-worship meal in his home. Wow, that's the setting. And behold, verse 2 tells us, there was a man before him, that's Jesus, who had dropsy. Now Jesus comes walking into this gentleman's house, and there are people standing everywhere, as you can imagine, and, uh, and the Lord, uh, uh, I should say, 
I, I wanted to make a, moment, a comment here. The Lord accepted all sorts of social engagements, you know, uh, and he seemed to rather enjoy them. You can read through the Gospels and look at that. I mean, he felt, uh, he felt comfortable. He felt uh, he was willing to go and sit in all sorts of social settings where there were women of the street or prostitutes or, or this, the riffraff of the world, the tax collectors, the outcasts. He's in the middle of it, eating and enjoying their presence and uh, teaching them. And, and, uh, and he, he wasn't put off. He wasn't put off. No, you're a prostitute. I'm not going to. No, you're this. No, you're a. I mean, he's touching lepers. He's eating. He's moving. He's uh, the widows, the downcast. He, hey, you see him, and you can study that as you read Matthew. Do a study of that. Look at that. Observe that. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you'll see him. And maybe it'll cause you to really think about, you know, how much contact do I have with, with people that don't know Jesus? I saw him in a little bubble here. And we love a bubble. We love coming together and worshiping, don't we? We feel safe here, and, and we're thankful for this place. But then we scatter. But sometimes we live in these little bubbles where we, oh, I don't dare. No, the Lord reaching out, touching, befriending, and giving the, the, the gift of friendship. To, and many of these being swept, they're hearing the gospel from the Son of God. And he's drawing them. I think that's, there's a lesson there for all of us. I know Faith and I have have tried to really open ourselves up to our neighbors and others and invite them into our home and, and befriend, be, give them the gift of friendship to them. How will, really, how will people ever know of Jesus if, if we just sort of hide, you know, or remain behind our fortresses or just our enclaves of we're, we're just a holy huddle, we never get out. I'm so glad we're doing our community projects this year with New Hope, and, and we've done that, and now we're doing the Pregnancy Center, and we're going to increase our involvement, get out there, and befriend and make friends, and we're going to be there for the gospel's sake. It's exciting to do We're going to do that together. Intentional ministry impact into our community and beyond. I see that it comes right from the life of the Lord Jesus. Well, anyway, he comes walking into this house, and it looks like it's one of those gotcha moments. You know what they are, right? The setup, you know, it's not the mafia or something like that, but it's sort of like, you know, here's this situation, and then you got this guy there, and it's the Sabbath day, and he's also there. I don't know that he was a guest, an invited guest. Uh, part of the, partly the reason is, you know, he got, he was wonderfully healed by the Lord, as we read, but he never, never stayed, or he didn't seem to have a chair at the table. He left. The Lord sent him on his way after, I guess, maybe he was excited and didn't, didn't want to eat. When we, I asked Faith to marry her, it was a complete surprise. It was a complete surprise. And, and I asked, I took her out in 1974 and, uh, to a restaurant. I, I planned this whole thing. And uh, I asked her in the parking lot of this real swanky restaurant, you know, like, uh, and she said, yes, I'll, if you want it, yes, yes, yes. And then I said, well, she answered all the right yeses. And so I said, well, I have a question for you. What's that? I pulled out the diamond ring. You know, it wasn't like, you know, three years later, some guys don't sort of get that, you know, really helps if you have it on the spot. I, I figure that, you know, like, don't give them time to think about it. You're like, uh, you know, just have it right there. So I gave it to her and she's like, oh, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. So we went in the restaurant. She couldn't eat. 
She told her, I've got engaged here. I can't eat. I'm so excited. Well, maybe that was this guy, right? He's so excited because God, the Lord has healed him. He didn't, but he doesn't hang around to eat. And the Lord sort of sends him on his way. So I think he's a plant. I think they brought him in here. They're going to trick him. He's going to violate their little midget rules for Sabbath obedience. I mean, Sabbath. God gave us a Sabbath. gave us a rest. You know, like work is good. Work is good. Just like the trouble we'd be in if we didn't have work. In the jails, we'd all be in. Hey, are you in it? Yeah, I'm in again. You know, like we'd be in trouble. God gave us something to do. It's a good thing to work long as it's legal work, right? Okay? Uh, but we have to stop. You know, someone said it's only a true Christian that can really stop in what they do day in and day out uh, and reflect back, look back, thank the Lord, and maybe learn some and then look forward. You see, those that don't know the Lord are terrified at the thought, if I stop, I have to think about who I am, what am I doing here, what? Where am I going? I don't want to do that, so I want to just stay on a treadmill. A Christian can stop, and God wants us. The Sabbath 6-1 rotation with the resurrection. The Jews said the, the, the resurrection is so great, it's the first day of the week. That's the Lord's day, and it's good to stop and relax. And, other, and we'll see that here, and not make it a bunch of rules and regulations and a greater burden where people loathe that day because it's so restrictive and people do that don't they well it's a plant it's a trap he's being carefully watched legalists love to do this because they feel spiritually superior the sick man uh, in the house he suffers from this thing called uh, luke calls it dr luke calls it dropsy he calls it dropsy which is really edema Hydropikos is the Greek word, hydropikos. He had edema, that is, and some of you may have, have had that. It's where you have excess fluid in the cavities of the body or in the tissues. Uh, it's an organ uh, failure, uh, typically the, uh, maybe the kidneys. Uh, if you're uh, taking a water pill, they try and relieve some of the water off the different organs. And, uh, or you'll notice if you sit too long, Whoa, my ankles are swollen. They give me a little something for uh, blood pressure, and it uh, slows the, the beta thing down. They go like, oh, look at that. And Dr. Bailey says, oh, I gave you too much. Let's make it less. You know, this kind of thing. That's what's fluid retention. Well, he's all swollen, this, this man. He's in a tough situation. It's a serious, probably, organ failure. Uh, and I believe he's a, he's, a, he's a plant. It's a trick. It's a setup. What would Jesus do? Would he break their Sabbath rules? Would he heal them? That's what's going on. Well, B, in this toxic setting, Jesus asks a convicting question. He doesn't, he, he doesn't uh, uh, heal him yet, but uh, he, uh, he uh, responds by asking, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? And they remain stonily silent, don't they? Is it lawful to heal? It's a legal question. They should have engaged right into that. If the Pharisees said yes, they would violate their own little midget rules. 
Now, they could. They could. They had this one uh, out. If it was a life and death situation, they could heal or be a part of that process. If they said no, they would appear to be heartless, which is exactly what they were. Holy cow, that's what they are, stone of heart. And now they are the trapped one. They came to... They brought Jesus in with his plant. I think I'm thinking of this rightly. And now they're the ones that are trapped. We can't say yes. We can't say no. What do we say here? And so they don't say anything. They don't say it all. Silence. Stony silence is their only response. They refuse to answer. Now, most of the time, silence is perceived as agreement. Did you know that? It's, it's perceived. Now, let me say something about that. Sometimes you'll be in a crowd or in a small group discussion or maybe one-on-one. You need to speak up. It's perceived to be, if you're silent and there's discussion going on, if you don't speak up, you're seen to be in agreement. Do you know that? Socially, culturally, you are in agreement. Why? The idea is because it is moving in a direction, and if you didn't say something to help stop it go that direction, you are part of it. And there's times to speak up. There really are, and the Lord give you wisdom to stand strong. Uh, most people cower under it and fail. Learn, to s- learn what's important in those non-negotiables and with grace. Just say, that's not right. I'm not doing that. Shame on us. And speak up and be counted. That's the way I was raised. There's a time to stand up. And I hope that you do that. There's, there's stony silent here. Stony. They refuse. They're not going to incriminate. Well, Jesus takes the initiative, doesn't he? As he always does. He takes the initiative. He goes over. It doesn't say what. The emphasis here isn't on the miracle. It's on what Jesus is saying. It's not on what he does. Did he go over and embrace this uh, sick man? We don't know. Maybe. And uh, in any event, Jesus uh, uh, heals the man. Then, then he took him and healed him and sent him away, the end of verse 4. Jesus takes the initiative. He always does. Yeah, he always does. He's the creator. You didn't create yourself. There's no such thing as self-creation. He created you. He took the initiative. He saved you if you know him. He took the initiative to uh, uh, 20 centuries ago, which was merely part of the foreknowledge and plan of God, the covenant of redemption, to lay down his own life. He took the initiative. There's a part of that, men, where you and I as as men uh, need to be leaders in our home. And part of being a leader is to take initiative. And part of that means to resist passivity. There's a lot of passive, mumbly, male, you know, resist that. Resist. I have a flaming illustration of just, just what it ought to be when, back years ago when Sarah dated Matt, Matt was at the Naval Academy, and they teach that. You know, they're to be leaders, and part of that is Take the initiative and see something, get it done. I was in the, in the family room, and, uh, and Matt was there and his friend, and they were in their uniform, and they were looking out the front window, and all of a sudden, 
in a, this is quick, they went running outside. Like, that was really unusual. And they were both side by side running as fast as they could. And uh, we go, what, what's going on here? I missed something. And I looked at, and across the street, they had saw an elder gentleman walking along the sidewalk, and he fell and hit his head on the sidewalk. They, they didn't think from, well, they didn't say anything. They just responded and went. And, that, and it stands out in my mind. For good, they just, it was a reflex. I say, Lord, make me like that when I see something like that. The Lord sees a need here. He doesn't like, oh, I wonder what I, what should I do here? I'm a guest, you know, like mumbling it. Oh, he steps right up here and raises a legal question, maybe hugs the man, heals him, you know, and sends him on his way. There's no passivity. And men, we need to resist that. The men are becoming so passive in our culture. And we have to resist that. I, I, I mean, godly gentlemen, but leadership, resisting that, 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 that passive. Jesus takes the initiative, as he always does. And here we see the compassion of God, do we not? He moves toward our need. There's the gospel there. He moves toward us. God demonstrated his love for us in this, and that Christ died for uh, sin, for our sin. It is the compassion and the love of God to move toward us and to meet, really, our deepest need. It's always that way. And in the midst of that, then, he asks a second question, uh, which is in the form of a parable aimed at breaking their hypocritical hardened hearts. He asks there, which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath, they would not immediately, there's the emphasis, immediately pull him out. Well, they all would. They all, uh, yeah, he's right about that. If my son fell in there. Hey, manana, buddy, we'll see you tomorrow. You know the Sabbath. <laughs> no way. I mean, it was so embarrassingly accurate. They would immediately pull their animal out or their son out immediately. And so, again, they're tongue-tied, and they can't even respond to the Lord of glory. And here, silence is not golden. Were you raised with that? I was raised with that. I don't hear that much anymore. Silence is golden. Paul, you, were you raised with that? Never, but yeah, how many of that were you sort of raised with that? Sort of the, our grandparents said, don't you know, after all, <laughs> silence is golden. I don't know what that meant. They want to take a nap or something. I'm, <laughs> it's funny how when you get older and you go like, well, what did that really mean, you know? <laughs> Uh, well, God made the Sabbath. Now, notice what God made the Sabbath for three things, and, and it's important for us to get a get a get a sense on this thing. Um, God made the Sabbath for worship, and we gather on the Lord's day, and it should be a priority. It should be a joy. It should be something that you uh, you, you take pre preparation for. You can't be up till two in the morning. And then expect to be any what cognitive when you come in here in the morning. You can't. It's important. Get your rest. Read your word. Pray. Get the TV off. And prepare. And come early. Be early. Come. Worship. Worship the Lord. You know, some people are like, well, you know, some people don't like worship and don't make it a priority. You know what? They're going to hate heaven. You, what do you think we're going to do in heaven? Heaven is worship 24-7. 24-7. No, that won't work in heaven. That, that, I mean, that, that's, <laughs> that just occurred to me. 
you know, like, and, and so you might as well come and start getting, get, and make it a priority. Encourage people. You know, we worship the Lord. I said to someone last night, when Faith and I went over to that Greek festival. Have you ever done that? That's a great thing. Those gyros are pretty good. Dave, have you tried them? <laughs> anyway, I said, uh, are you open tomorrow? Yeah, are you open that? And then she asked, what? How are you going to ever be in church? I told her. How are you going to be in church when? I, well, I guess I'm going to miss church. You know, like oh, yeah, this kind of thing, because we're going to make sandwiches for the Greek festival at the church. You know, like, well, someone's got to work on Sunday. I was thinking, like, yeah, I work every Sunday. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't tell her that, but you know, try and be polite. But you know, this kind of thing. worship is important. It's important. Second, for rest, it's a rest. It's a Shabbat. It's a rest. It ought to be different. There ought to be one day of the week different from the rest. Or we'll probably schedule your funeral sooner. You know? Really, you just, you'll just you wear out. I, I don't know what you think of Chick-fil-A, but I know I met the owner of that, that old man down in Georgia at a festival. He was down there and spoke to a, a large group, and we, we saw him there. He closes that place on Sunday. You know what? He's got happy managers, happier managers, happier employees, you know, and they, pro and, and they do very well. They're the kind of the cat's meow of that whole business thing. You know what I mean? Uh, seven days. It just, you, you need that rotation. You need one day different from the rest. So it's a day of worship. We worship the risen Lord. It's a day where it ought to all change. And so then uh, our typical day here, Monday, we start the work week. There's a, there's a sense of freshness. I know rainy days on Monday, we go like, yeah, we know that song. But there's a freshness to it. It's a start of an, another work week. It ought to be deliberately changed, change, break the pace like that. That's how God designed the, the six and one. And then, but last, and the point here is it's a day for showing mercy or kindness, to those in need. And we too need to incorporate these three things in our observance of the Lord's Day. Let me give you some ideas. The Lord, uh, Day, Lord's Day in showing compassion and kindness. You, could, you, know, you should be encouraged to visit sick, visit the sick on their sick beds, and have prayer with them. doesn't take gobs of time. Don't camp out there. But it's a day freed up, typically, and you can do that. Uh, it's a day for fathers to show mercy to their children by making the kids, uh, you know, near the top of the agenda. Go out and play with them. You have time typically to do that. Just don't sleep the whole day away. Get your rest, but go play with them. My, my, I miss that so much with our boys. Uh, we would, we'd watch a little football, and then, hey, Dad, let's go throw it. We'd be out in the front lawn throwing the football at halftime and beyond that. It was so funny when they came home, the same thing again. Hey, let's go out at halftime. We're out there, a bunch of old guys running around the front yard throwing the football. Like John, I think I can throw it 40 yards. You know, he's throwing, hitting out, just about hitting windows in the neighbor's house, and all that kind of stuff, and tripping on the curb. You know, play with them. Play with your kids. I'm telling you that I think it's for our own sanity to do that, really. To show mercies to those that are unmarried, singles. How do you do that? Welcome them into your home. Invite them in for a meal and just to be around a family. It's a wonderful thing to do, particularly with college students around and others. Uh, for those that have a little bit more, show mercy to those that have less. Uh, by feeding them, have them in for a meal. It's a merciful thing to do, to share that gift of friendship. 
It's a day for people who have found Christ to show mercy to those who are still lost by befriending them and and drawing them close and sharing with them the love of Jesus and the gospel. It's a day for showing mercy, every compassion of Christ, to every person in need, just like Jesus. It is always, here's the lesson, it is always the right time to show mercy to those in need. Always, 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 always. There's a second lesson at this dinner party. Now that was sort of, and the second lesson, and now he's not going to speak to uh, only the Pharisees and the scribes. He's going to uh, turn his attention, the Lord, to all the guests that are standing around waiting for dinner. Dinner has not been served yet. And the lesson is, don't think so highly of yourself. Strive to take the lowest place. In fact, it's going to seem like in verses 7 through 11 that Jesus preferred the lowest seats, the lowest spots. And it's a reminder to go up higher in God's uh, true estimation, and his is the only one that really matters, you have to first go down lower. Lower. True humility is a mark of godliness. And if you are ever exalted, it should never come from you. Never, always from others. And Jesus is going to make a few comments here on the seating arrangements at this highfalutin social dinner party after Sabbath worship gathering. And Jesus is observant. Uh, you notice that in the text in verse 7. Uh, and now he, he told the parable to those who were invited, now all the guests. When he noticed, here it is, he noticed, and he always does, he noticed how they chose the places of honor. All right, there's a pecking order. But in America, we're sort of profane and, and don't have this kind of a culture. In some ways, it's a shame. We've lost uh, too much by it. But Faith and I have had occasion to see uh, a culture, the Arab culture, where honor, honor is very important. I mean, you just don't slap happy, walk in, do this. There's a lot of thought and a lot of care and a lot of reverence and respect. It's an honor culture. And, and it works its way in a lot of ways, in ways that most America drive us crazy. Like, for example, if, in fact, your employee goofs up, you know, we get him in, and we'll, I, I got to talk to him like a Dutch uncle. No, what are you going to redress this guy? And maybe it's a committee setting, whether the peers are there. There are cultures, and particularly honor cult. you don't do that kind of thing. And it's sort of like dancing around. It drives us crazy a little bit because we're like, get it done, get it done. What's the bottom line? Too bad you hurt your feelings. Get over it, you know. They don't. They're going to try and dance around and correct by esteeming them. It's <laughs> It's a, it almost doesn't compute in our way of thinking. But it's the honor culture. Honor. A man's honor. We, it, our, the early uh, people that formed our country, there was a taste of that. Remember that? The dueling. Doesn't dueling seem odd in our day? I'll see you out for the duel. And the, they used to slap them like, hey, you slapped me with your glove. That's, a, you know, that's, a, that's my honor in question. I'll see you. That's how some of our historical founders, Aaron Burr was involved with that, with Hamilton. Is that right, Dave? Which one got hurt in that? Aaron Burr? Is it? Yeah? Okay. I'm 
just reaching. Well, that was an honor. That was, we, well, what happened since then? We've lost that. In the, uh, uh, we saw a little bit of that when uh, we were invited, uh, when our ki- the kids were in Doha, to go to uh, a prince's house. Talk about a dinner that stands out where all the men were eating. I mean, this was the big after, and in that case, it was after uh, the mosque on Friday dinner, and we were invited to that. And I was, I, I, they gave me so much honor being uh, the patriarch of our family with all our, the grandkids and, and that. And uh, they gave, they gave, now you're going to sit here? And, they, and then they kept putting, and it was all the men around. I didn't know what they were talking about. They were speaking Arabic. I studied like six languages, but not Arabic. <laughs> so, but they're putting food on my plate, and then anytime it's empty, they're putting more on, more on, more on, and all that. And the honor that was bestowed upon me because you're the father. Now, we've lost uh, too much of that. There's a day in our, where age ought to be revered. Now, I know there's no fool like an old fool. That's an expression. And, and you know, the reason is, is, is that you ought to have lived enough under the grace of God and the Word of God where you made enough mistakes, and isn't that how we learn, right, in experience, that we know where the potholes are and we get wisdom from that. Tuition can be high, but we're, we've got wiser. And if we're still here and we're still pretty stupid, moronic, we go like, there's no fool like an old fool, Okay. But there is a sense where we've lost too much, and, and we ought to do that at grace. Uh, you know, for, some of you are older in years, and we honor you and revere you and with your experience. And it's not, hey, you, and all this. There was a thing where I used to get soap in my mouth uh, from my parents if I called somebody an adult by their first name, that kind of thing. You know, some of you come out of that, uh, the kids are like, oh, that's really weird, you know, like, like, hey, my brother to this day, and my brother is, he's older than Mark. Mark was telling me that. <laughs> and my, my, my brother still walks around calling everybody Mr. and Mrs. because my father put the fear of God in us. <laughs> get, get over here. You call him Mr., you know, or Mrs., or you know, this kind of thing. Well, there's a respect there, and I think parents need to teach that. Uh, and a respect that ought to come with you. The Scriptures teach that. To the older men in the church, to the older ladies, the younger, and, and, and this kind of a thing. And, uh, and we've, we've lost too much on that, really. And here in this setting, it's a dinner setting, it's a dinner party, it's highfalutin, and there, it's an honor culture in the Middle East, and where you sit had real significance. It wasn't just the cafeteria, hey, just pull up a seat and sit down there, hey, first come, first serve. No, it wasn't that at all. Some of you ladies... You know, with weddings and formal occasions, and you'll, they'll even put Faith you've done. I've seen Debbie you do, and Susan. You put down. You'll write your little name down. I like that. You know, put your name down. There it is. Where do I sit? Oh, there's my name. You know, I sit right there. A lot of thought put into where they're going to sit and what's the conversation like, and you know, this kind of a thing. Uh, well, that's what it is here. Except the table. Let me not get ahead of my notes here, so you can stay with me. Jesus is observant. He's noticed the, the dinner guests. They're jockeying for position at the dinner table. Uh, verse 7. Uh, it's a race for the best seat. You know, they're all standing around. The hors d'oeuvres really were the healing of the guy. That's neat. You know, that's kind of pre-dinner entertainment. 
Wow, that's something. Oh, he broke the Sabbath. And now they're kind of moving over to the dining area. And the dining area isn't like, you know, our big uh, tables with uh, Leonardo da Vinci at the Last Supper. Nothing like that, right? They're low to the floor, they're cushioned, and they're probably in a big shape of a U, if you will. If you're in the upstairs looking down, it'd be a U-shaped table. And the, the wealthy host, the Pharisee, is in the center. He's near the bottom of the U, and the uh, the seat that was most preferred as he sat there would have been right to his left. And the second most would be right to his right. And then it worked its way back in groups of three. The cushions usually had, they were low, and sometimes they'd lean back on it. I had a seder in the old uh, city. At one time, we laid back, went on for a couple of hours in that Passover. It was just marvelous to try and enter into that culture. And so the further you were away, of course, you weren't able to be in the conversation. You're, you can only converse pretty well with those near you. And uh, if you were really something or you thought you were, you felt like, I deserve to sit up in that place of honor. That's what's going on here. And they're sort of jockeying, and you can kind of see it, right? They're kind of moving over. They're all talking, and maybe he's sort of leaning on this seat here, you know, like, oh, that's it, waiting for the signal. So he scoots around, and he sits in that high position. Because, I mean, after all, he's a somebody or she's a somebody. These, incidentally, are probably all men in the setting. And that's, uh, that's the place. All wanted the very best seat. How, and it, it reveals the pride of the men, uh, how proud they were of their perceived position. And they're fighting to maintain that. Well, their, their spiritual problem went much, for, much deeper than simply having bad manners. Jesus, this is not like uh, in a book on manners and etiquette. No, you shouldn't do that. You should, you know, wait to the host and places you in it. Jesus, it's far deeper than that. Uh, their, their bad manners simply showed that they were enslaved to their selfish ambition, and the problem lie deeper. The most uh, important of them was not their private godliness, but their public reputation. They were full of their, of their own self-importance. And they, they would feel slighted when they didn't get, uh, get recognized for it. And so it was a pride thing. After all, I'm so-and-so. After all, I have all these letters after my name. After all, uh, I'm uh, this or I'm that or I'm wealthy or my portfolio or my land holdings and my livestock and all of that. I'm, I'm a somebody. Well, pride, it is pride when we, re, we reflect on our own reputation. It's pride when we do that. Somebody said, you know, let God take care of your reputation. You watch your character and God will take care of your, your reputation. That's not bad. You, you watch your character. Lord, make me like Jesus. And he'll take care of what people think about you. It's going to go up and down anyway and all over the place. And pretty soon they won't even know you live. And they won't even care. You know, it's pride when we do. Or when we exaggerate our accomplishments. Did you see that recently? The, the recent CEO of Yahoo, he just resigned. He, uh, he sort of padded his resume a little bit. I guess he uh, did not have a computer science undergraduate degree and and, and I think he said he had that. It was a joint interdisciplinary computer science and accounting, something like that. And, uh, you know, you have enemies. That were going. And today, 
Hey, you hit the button, you can find. It's amazing what you see on there. Wow, it's amazing. And, and he had enemies, and they, were, they brought him down. He resigned. Exaggerated his accomplishment. Or you encourage someone else to speak up. Uh, on, well, that's nauseating, isn't it? Hey, go tell them what a great guy I am. Wow. <laughs> we're all guilty of this when we fail to get the place uh, we think we deserve, and we resent it when we don't get it. Uh, I was reading uh, Dr. Riken's uh, writings this week, and he was, he was reflecting back uh, when Dr. Boyce died. Remember that? About uh, 10 years ago, Dr. Boyce pastored 10th Press in Philadelphia for uh, 30 years. Great pulpiteer, great teacher. Uh, I still love his works and, and means so much. Well, when he uh, found out uh, Easter that he had uh, pancreatic cancer, and then he was gone. He was in heaven in June, Easter to June. I mean, it was that fast. And they had the funeral, and Riken writes, uh, the men decided they would not have preferential seating for the funeral service, Dr. Boyce's funeral service, that would simply be open seating. And he said uh, the day of the funeral, as uh, no one was surprised, it was packed out. I mean, they were hanging from the chandeliers, and they had anterooms, and down in the, they call it the catacombs in the basement, they had the uh, TV cameras and all that. Well, he said, uh, Riken doesn't name them, but he, he goes on to say, I remember there was a family that showed up, and they came, you know, not early. <laughs> and uh, when they saw the circumstance, he said uh, they demanded to be seated in the, uh, in the sanctuary. And uh, there was no, no seat to be had. And they were told, and it had been announced, it's open seating. And uh, they made a huge fuss and said uh, after that that they were never so terribly treated and that they would never come back. And, he's, and he writes years later, he said, I never saw him back at 10th. Well, that's, that's, that's exactly what Jesus is talking about. That, I mean, full of self. And we all have that in us. We all have that. I mean, why not go get a little corner in the basement if there's a two, two feet, square feet, and, and plant your bottom on it and, and watch it, you know, uh, through the TV monitor. Man, pride. Wow. Well, Jesus teaches here not to seek the high position, but sit somewhere lower down. You see, the man or woman who really knows Jesus, knows himself, and the price that was paid for his or her redemption, really, will never be a proud person. I mean, we used to sing that, right? I am a worm. We can't do that anymore because it hurts people's feelings. But some of the old hymn books you know, we go like, yeah, that's right. No, that's too good. A worm does what God made him to do. Hmm. Ah. With apologies to the worm world or something, you know. But, you know, that's too great. And, and we're not to seek that higher spot. I love that, the story of one of uh, a great uh, professor was, uh, uh, and had pastored was uh, in a big, big hall at the, uh, at, at the seminary, and he was... He, he, uh, he happened to be an early part of the, uh, the assembly that hour. And uh, when he came out, he was an older man and he was dearly loved, 
But he came out, he was so unassuming and so godly. He came out and, to the platform to begin the thing, and, uh, and all of a sudden uh, the, the applause went up everywhere. Well, he didn't really know what was going on, so he, he, start, he started clapping. He, he was walking around, little imagining that he could have been the object of why they were clapping. I go, oh, Lord, wouldn't that be great to have a church full of people like that? The guy behind this thing like that? They have the right view? Lord, help us. That's the principle Jesus is teaching us here. Find the humble, the low spot to sit. And maybe someone will call you to move higher. You know, hey, what are you sitting down in that last seat there? Get up here. Get up here. You know, like, oh, my. Isn't that beautiful? That's the gospel. And Jesus gives us the principle. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, will be brought low. Sometimes this takes place in this life, doesn't it? Pride goes before a fall. Proverbs 18.12 is a form of that. Often we hear it, pride goes before a fall. Sometimes in this life. I'm, I'm rather amazed. I don't, I don't know what you think, Bev, but when I, it almost looks like these long-term folks that serve over in our capital the next stop is the courthouse. I, I don't get that, sort of. I don't, I don't know. I mean, they're one after another after another. Yeah, how, how the mighty have fallen, kind of saw, you know. Sometimes it happens. Not always. Not always. Sometimes. But finally, it will be at the judgment. Proud men and women will realize that you cannot stand up before God based upon your own good works to be allowed into heaven. will be cast down. It is not by works of righteousness that we have done, but by His mercy He has saved us. The proud will be brought low. And isn't Jesus the great, greatest illustration of this? Isn't it? For no one was more humble than He. Nobody. Nobody. I mean, uh, it is... Take, take your Bible. Look, just look over at Philippians. I just want to remind you of this of this uh, descent to the lowest place, to the ascent to the highest place. Nobody ever went lower and nobody ever went higher. Uh, it, it is the Lord Jesus. And Paul writes in Philippians 2, um, in verse 5 to 11, calling us to be humble in mind, really, the way we treat each other. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Jesus Christ. And now he's going to tell us about the Lord. Who... Though he was in the form of God, he was God, did not count himself, uh, count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he made himself akinesin, is the great, nothing. He made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. Now watch the descent now. God, now he's coming down. And, uh, he took the form of a servant. Now he's made in the likeness of men. And being found in human form and humbled himself, now he's going down, obedient to the point of death. It's lower now. And then if you can imagine this, even the death of the cross, how hard, horrible, what a descent. Therefore, now the, now the other way, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
Wow. And one last verse I want you to look at. Look at 1 Peter. Just 1 Peter 5, verses 5 and 6. Peter writes, 1 Peter 5, 5 and 6, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. But now notice, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For, here's the reason, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. What joy will be ours when Jesus elevates us to a place that is infinitely higher than we deserve and infinitely more glorious than we can ever imagine? When, in essence, Jesus says to us, because of the cross and his work in our life, friend, come up higher. Isn't that amazing? Lessons for our life, number one. Like Jesus, we as Christians need to spend time with lost men and women, lost people. How will they ever come to know God's love in Christ if we don't spend time with them? Learn to enjoy them and allow Christ's love to shine through you to them. Be encouraged to have them in your homes. Eat with them. Share with them the gift of friendship. Reach out to them. Embrace them. Read your Bibles. Pray. You say, well, they're going to affect. No, we're sanctified in truth. Thy word is true. And then with one hand, reach out to them and draw them near. Oh, I love to see us doing more and more of this. We are. We are. Number two, it is always right to help those in need. Always right. Don't make excuses, even religious-sounding one. Oh, it's the Sabbath or something. Roll up your sleeves and help, all of you. You are the arms and the hand and the feet of Jesus. And, and write down this, Proverbs 19, verse 17. I love this verse. They that lend to the needy or to the poor actually are lending to the Lord. And people, some folks need money, others need time, others need help. And if you lend it to those in need, you're actually lending it. God says, they're lending it to me. That's, that's an incredible incentive. Number three, be encouraged to use the Lord's Day for the three things that we specify. Use it for worship. Make worship and encourage your friends and family and others to join at worship. Use it for worship. Use it for rest as a break in your normal weekly pattern. Get a, get a Lord's Day uh, rest or sleep afternoon for an hour or two. And then use it to be a blessing to others. Use it. Infest yourself. It will enrich your life as you become a blessing to others. It should be a day different from all the other days. It's the Lord's Day. Number four, beware of pride. Uh, it, it, it is the root behind all sin, this pride thing. It continually pops its ugly head up in our lives. I know in mine, every day, I ask the Lord to root it out of me, this haughtiness or arrogance or pride, this, this focus on self that I deserve or, or you cut me off or I'm ahead of you, and then it pops its way in so many ways. God, forgive us of that. Let's think rightly and biblically about ourselves and, and ask, Lord, be humble. 
Remember, pride is the devil's sin, Isaiah 14, and that's it. Number five and last, today I wonder, will you humble yourself and confess your sins and your need of Jesus? Would you do that? If you've never done that, I urge you to come to Jesus today and be saved. Be saved. The door to heaven is still open, and Jesus is calling. Oh, what a day, a day when when Jesus, as a special guest, visited the Sabbath day dinner party. Wow, what an appetizer. What a comment on the seating arrangement. What lessons for our life, oh God. Shall we pray? Father, thank you so much for this wonderful account, and thank you, Lord, for working in our hearts and lives, and I pray that you would change us, Lord, and cause us to love you more and more and more, that it would be Jesus in us. And I pray that you draw the lost to yourself and save them even today. And we'll thank you for these things. In Jesus' name, amen. All right.